everybody, and welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. My name is Jeff. I'm half the show. The other half is sitting there across from me. It is Mark A. Johnston. Mark, how you doing, sir? It's going well. I, I actually sort of have a voice this week, and uh, not going so well for everybody else, then, is it? Yeah. <laughs> well, yes, as we usually say something in homage to my poor wife at yeah. some point. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, we were just talking about it beforehand. Uh, we are recording this on Reverse Boycott Day. We're recording this on, on Tuesday, and I'm getting ready to head out to the ballpark. So we don't have any updates. Our, our next show, I'll, I'll give you a, a rundown of how things went here and and how it went and what it was like and and all that kind of stuff. But uh, so stay, stay tuned, check us out for our next show and you can hear kind of my firsthand account of reverse boycott day. I hope everybody has got the A's in their thoughts, but we're going to move on to other stuff, Mark. We're going to move on to some, some other baseball talk. What do you say? It's kind of what we do here. Yeah, that works for me. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into our BP segment then right away. Mark, I sent you a URL uh, last week. From, I mean, I've got the Gucci website just bookmarked on my browser. Oh, yes. I mean, when I hit a new tab, it is the default homepage that shows up just because I that's the way I roll is pretty much Gucci, Gucci, Gucci head to toe. <laughs> that's right. Uh, but Gucci is apparently now in uh, in bed with MLB and uh, they have got an exclusive line of what I guess we call um, apparel. I'm not sure. I mean, it's is it is it art? Is it apparel? Is it artistic apparel? Yes. Do you actually wear it? Uh, well, I mean, some of the models are wearing some of this stuff. I mean, there are there's a pair here. It's called uh, described as Astros Men's Gucci Basket Sneaker. Nice. Which I think means it's a basketball shoe, but uh, there is no uh, Astros logo here that I see. It's Astro's color. It's got blue leather fringe hanging off of the back, and it's got stitches. And I don't know how you would think this is a an Astro's branded shoe for fourteen hundred dollars without a logo on it, but it's there if you mm-hmm. want it. Well, I I'd have to consider it. You know, yeah. I mean, I I saw a pair of jeans on there for only like four hundred bucks. Oh, well. had, you know, logos you know, ironed on. No, really no, I, I, well, I mean, I'm looking at that. I'm looking at the blue jeans with all of the logos, uh, on it and it's $13,500. Oh, those were, I was looking at a, uh, like a size for my dog. Yeah, <laughs> there is nothing. <laughs> I, I think that Astro shoe might be the cheapest thing on this website. <laughs> Uh, but there are some stuff. There's some stuff here. Uh, first of all, there is something here. There's a pirate's uh, wool cardigan that is just shy of $3,000. I notice about this is there's a famous picture of Honus Wagner in a pirate's sweater. And he's kind of got one foot out of the dugout. And it's a real cool shot. And the sweater looks real cool. This is that sweater. They have recreated it. Hmm. Now, the picture, though, that I'm thinking of is in black and white. So we have no way of knowing if uh, Honus Wagner was actually wearing this red and pink version of the Pirates sweater. (laughs) Which probably, who knows? I don't know. I'm kind of torn. I'm thinking he might be, but then again, I might. The other side of my brain says maybe not. I keep forgetting they had color back then. You just can't see it in the pictures. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think, well, if they did, it's red and pink, probably. There is uh, some nylon joggers with red socks patch. That's what it says. Just patch for $2,400 that is uh, orange and blue. Mm. And I believe, uh, I guess that says Gucci. I thought it said Gators because it's like Florida (laughs) Gators color. No, it says Gucci. Uh, I guess there are logos down the side of this that are red socks, but it is orange and blue, the traditional Red Sox. I'm telling you, man, you want fashion. Yeah. Baseball plus Gucci equals everything you ever dreamed of. Well, I did order this nylon jacket with athletics patch, which essentially it looks like an orange hefty bag with an (laughs) A's logo on it for $4,300, hoping that it would be here for the reverse boycott game, but it has not arrived. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, I don't think my check went through. Oh, one of those. (laughs) But if you're a Yankees fan or a Phillies fan, especially, there seems to be a lot of stuff here for you. So if you've got some money to burn, and I guess there's a good deal of pirate stuff as well. It's uh, it's something. If uh, I don't think you could pay me what these things cost to actually wear any of this in public. It's just, it's not my scene. Oh, you know me, I'd do anything once, so. And especially for money. (laughs) For money, yeah. Here's a nice $35,000 pair of pants. You can keep them if you wear them. Can I sell them on eBay after I'm done? That's all that would matter to me. (laughs) Well, it's uh, head to Gucci. Major League Baseball, It, uh, I'm expecting that to be a huge success. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> let's talk about, you know, I don't think we talked about Lars Newtbar next uh, last week. So We haven't been discussing him lately. No, well, he's on the DL, the IL, yeah. whatever it's called. Yeah. And so I haven't had a lot. But you sent me a picture of, of something that I had not seen before. Yes. Well, it was, it was Lars uh, Pepper Mills. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's not, uh, they don't call him the best color guy in the biz for nothing, ladies That's and gentlemen. Right. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he sent me a picture. Apparently, McCormick, who makes a lot of, uh, you know, kitchen spices and stuff, sent Lars Newtbar a big bag of custom-made pepper grinders with his big mug on it. Yeah, those got to be valuable. Well, now, the thing is, well, actually, they are, because I happen to have bought a pepper grinder yesterday. Just yesterday, because I've, I've been out of pepper for like a week. Not cheap. Just, no. you know, a disposable pepper grinder with pepper balls or whatever they're called. It's like <laughs> 13 bucks. So if you put Lars Newtbar face on it, you're probably selling them for 20 And uh, they're probably hard to get a hold of. I would have bought, bought them all if I'd seen them, but they weren't there. No question about it. Yeah, and then I would have put them on eBay in Japan because I guarantee you I'd make a lot of money. That's the way to go, man. See if you can land any. I think the thing is they just sent them to Lars. I think it was just for him. Well, let's ask Lars. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I'm sure he'll just give them away for you guys. Hey, man, we've been talking to Lars for years, literally. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll get on that right away and see uh, see what he gets back to us on. Yeah. All right, Mark, this show is debuting on June 14th. That's uh, that's a day of the month. Uh, so uh, here, what we like to do is uh, we like to look up and uh, remember some guys that made their major league debuts on this day, June fourteenth. So we're going to start all the way back today in nineteen thirty two when Rip Sewell made his uh, made his debut. Does that name sound familiar? Rip Sewell. No sound. I mean, I remember a pro wrestler named Rip something. 
Well, I don't know. I, don't know. I asked Sewell. you specifically because you did a story on him at one point. So. Rip Sewell? Yeah. Okay. Hey, man, we're in- 200 of these things. I don't know anymore. <laughs> Rip Sewell, the inventor of the Ephus pitch. Oh, the Ephus guy. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so uh, this is, uh, I think you, you, touched on this when you talked about him however many episodes ago. This is the story of how the Ephus pitch was invented. Apparently somebody asked Rip how it came about and he said, well uh, Dick Wakefield started to swing then he stopped and then he swung again and almost fell down when he missed. After the game, everybody stopped laughing. Frankie Frisch wanted to know what I called that pitch. And uh, so an outfielder, Maurice Von Robes I, I've never heard of him, uh, said, that's an Ephus pitch. And he was asked, well, what's an Ephus? And he said, Ephus ain't nothing. <laughs> I don't understand that commented at all. <laughs> Wait a minute. You can't define something as nothing. That's an Ephus pitch. What's an Ephus? Ephus ain't nothing. Like, what? Huh? Um, that's odd must have gone into politics after uh, after baseball Ball players you never know <laughs> so that pitch was developed in 1942 he developed this because get this during the offseason he uh, was in a hunting accident where he permanently damaged his big toe we've advanced in 1942 not so many farm accidents now we're in the hunting accidents that are oh, yes causing baseball players to alter their uh, approach to the game uh, Sewell gave up 116 home runs in uh, his uh, regular season career to 68 different batters in 10 different ballparks none of them ever came off his EFIS pitch <laughs> Now, I, I specified their regular season because uh, he was an all-star a couple of years. And in one of those games, he threw it to Ted Williams and he told Ted it was coming. So uh, Ted Williams knew it was coming. So he kind of happy gilmore it and uh, ran up in the box and, and hit it as it came down and hit a home run. That's the only home run he gave up off the Ephus pitch. So. Of course it was Ted Williams. Yeah, of course. Apparently they were jawing back and forth uh, during this All-Star game. Uh, friendly jawing. And, and said, you're not going to throw me that, right? And he said, oh, yeah, here it comes. And then he ran up and Happy Gilmore did for a home run. Very nice. All right, next, in 1974, Steve Swisher made his debut, a.k.a. Nick's dad. Yes, uh, so Steve Swisher, though, he played for nine years, mainly with the Cubs and the Cardinals, then finished up with the Padres. He was a catcher, lifetime 216 average, which is one point better than Mario Mendoza. So he batted above the Mendoza line. Hold your head high. Yeah, 216. Again, okay, I don't want to take in. Maybe Mario Mendoza loves that he's got something named after him. But, you know, Bob Euchre's career average is exactly 200. And he seems mm-hmm. like the exact kind of guy that you would, you know, name something like this after. Yeah, it doesn't seem right to say, look at Bob hit hit the Mendoza line his career and Mendoza hit better. That's not very fair. Yeah, I don't know. We let's I think Mario Mendoza is still around, right? Maybe we need to get him on the horn as well as Newt. Yeah, maybe he's sick of it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I have not. Maybe we need to look into that. Yeah, it looks like he's still around. Yeah, he's still around. He's 72 years old. Born in Chihuahua, Mexico. Nice. Chihuahua. Were you uh, in Cincinnati? 
Let's see if, if he likes it or not, because otherwise I think Bob Bucher gets it. And uh, our last debut for June 14th, Mark, Chris Carpenter. Oh, which one? Yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> get, get, <laughs> we have a love-hate relationship with anybody named Chris Carpenter on this podcast, because there's been like 17 of them in the past decade that have played uh, in Major League Baseball. But uh, this is a pitcher, because I think, Every Chris Carpenter is a pitcher, but it's not any of them that we're thinking of. This one only pitched two seasons, one with the Cubs, one with the Red Sox. I think this is yet another Chris Carpenter to throw in the pile, but this one actually never pitched for the Cardinals, which is a rarity because they they all seem to pitch for the Cardinals. Yeah, at least a couple dozen. Yeah, but not this one. But he, he made his debut today, June 14th, so... There you go for our debuts. Uh, let's let the ground crew come out and uh, do their stuff. They're watering down the infield and, and so forth and uh, getting everything ready. And we're going to head into the main segment. What do you say, Mark? Yeah, I'm ready to rumble. All right. So the main segment of the show this week, Mark, we're going to talk about somebody that we've talked about offhandedly. He's come up many times in this uh, in this podcast. But today we're going to go in depth on Frank Howard. Oh, Nice. Frank Howard, a.k.a. Hondo, a.k.a. the Washington Monument, a.k.a. the Capital Punisher. Great nicknames here. Very nice. Kind of sounds like a stable of heels from the late 1980s WWF, though, doesn't it? Like, it does. I, I like it. Hondo. They're maybe Bobby the Brain Heenan is their, uh, their manager. Uh, baseball fans, though, probably know that all these nicknames are for Frank Howard. The 6'7", 250-plus pounds. You know, technology was a bit sketchy. When Frank was playing, so we don't know exactly how much he weighed, apparently. Scales, not very accurate, I guess. Uh, but he was, and still is, just a giant of a man. Six foot something, 250 today, is uh, not something that's instantly going to make you take a double take. But in the 60s, baseball stars of the day were generally under six feet and weighed like 180 pounds. So Frank Howard was just a monster of a man compared to everybody else. Have you seen... Hondo, you've seen like video of him, Mark? Oh, I have. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have a little bit of a Frank Howard collection, actually. Oh, nice. Well, have you seen the movie Hondo? I have. <laughs> so I knew it was a John Wayne movie, but that was about all I remember. Well, I, all I know about it. Howard has always been kind of measured when he speaks in interviews, so I can kind of see the comparison to the Duke and that kind of drawn out speech the movie though is about a cowboy named hondo who tries to force himself on a married woman waiting for her husband to return she refuses him and eventually hondo saves that missing husband from the evil indigenous people but ungrateful the husband then tries to shoot hondo in the back because he's creeping on his wife but of course he misses point blank Hondo shoots and kills him. So now he's killed the missing husband of the woman he's thirsting for. And uh, that's been this week's Two Strike Noise Western recap. That's a fun story. Yeah, yeah. Well, I watched the trailer and at one point he picks up a little child that uh, can't swim and just chucks him in the water. And then his that's mom nice. is running to save him. He can't swim. And, and Hondo goes, well, Go save him. And she goes, well, I can't swim either. And then they look at each other and she runs away and he chases her like he's going to grab her and throw her in too. Meanwhile, okay. the, the child is still drowning out there because he can't swim. Yeah, I watched this movie a long time ago. I remember none uh, of this. 
Well, I mean, this was probably funny back in the day, but I was, my mouth was literally a gape when I saw this. I was like, wow. All right, let's get back to it. But Frank, always a big guy. In high school, he was 6'5", 195 pounds. His father played some semi-pro ball around Frank's hometown of Columbus, Ohio, and that helped to develop Frank's interest in the game. Despite his size, and I'm sure a lot of begging from coaches, Frank was not interested in football and never played. He did, however, play basketball. He was very good at that as well. He was a great athlete. So good, in fact, that he ended up playing both sports for his hometown school, the Ohio State University. While at Ohio State, Frank was an All-American in both basketball and baseball, earning All-American honors as a junior for, uh, for basketball and setting a Madison Square Garden record in a holiday basketball tournament where he had 31 rebounds in a single game and 75 for the three games that he played during that tournament. His basketball teammates included John Havlicek and Jerry Lucas, who I, somebody that uh, really does not like basketball, uh, I know who they are. So it's pretty, pretty big. Uh, Frank was so good at basketball that he was even drafted by the Philadelphia Warriors of the NBA. But enough about basketball. Howard was obviously a great baseball player, too, and he caught the eyes of scouts. He stood out because of his size, but also he hit the ball accordingly. He hit it really hard with a lot of power. And in 1958, he signed a contract with the now Los Angeles Dodgers and spent his first year as a professional as a Green Bay Blue Jay in the Illinois, Indiana, Iowa League. I would be remiss if I didn't point out that Green Bay, Wisconsin is neither in Indiana, Illinois, nor Iowa. There's got to be a Green Bay there somewhere. Well, he was in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I I don't know who named this league, but... uh, (laughs) I don't think they checked his uh, resume very well, uh, whoever named it. So Howard did a good job hitting uh, 37 home runs in Green Bay and driving in 119 while he hit 333. He even got a call up in September to the big club. And in his first start, he ended up going two for four against future Hall of Famer Robin Roberts with a two run home run in his second at bat that hit a billboard on the top of the left field grandstand of Connie Mack Stadium. The left fielder for the athletics, in fact, didn't want to stand out there anymore after this home run because the sign that Frank hit did not look like it was going <laughs> to stay up the rest of the game. That is funny. He did not want to stand out there. This is a great story about another game from that first year. This is from Hondo's Sabre bio, which is by uh, by the one and only Mark Armour, by the way, who is a really good baseball author. He's all over the place if you Uh, If you read anything about baseball, you've probably stumbled across that name before. But uh, he's got this story in his Sabre bio. He said, Frank came to bat in Cincinnati with teammate Duke Snyder on third base. Uh, Vin Scully in the radio booth. This was against, uh, oh, it's against the Reds, but uh, Frank was a Dodger at this point. And Scully commented, Riley, that Snyder was standing very far off the foul line at third in deference to Howard's propensity for pulling line drives down the line. And, you know, he's a big guy, hits the ball hard. Just as Scully said this, Howard ripped a foul liner that hit Snyder in the head, knocking him briefly unconscious and ending the Dukes season. Wow. Things I would not want to get hit with. A Frank Howard or a Frank Thomas line drive. Those are... Yeah, put those on my list, too. 
1959, he bounced around the minors, garnering talk of the next coming of Babe Ruth with his monstrous tape measure home runs. He was named the Sporting News Minor League Player of the Year. Frank made a quick nine-game stop again in L.A. at the end of the season before starting the 1960 season in Spokane and then finally getting called up to the majors for good. Despite some differences of opinions with Dodger manager Walter Alston, Frank played 117 games and he was named the National League Rookie of the Year. He blasted 23 home runs, knocked in 77, hit 268. He impressed both players and fans alike with his power, leading author Fresco Thompson to write this, quote, One of these days, Frank Howard will unleash a line drive at the opposing pitcher, and the only identification left on the mound is going to be a laundry mark, end quote. <laughs> That's like Charlie Brown stuff, right? When That's he, right. Those comebackers and... You see socks and everything flying up, and you hear uh, the sound of bowling pins. <laughs> <laughs> and then Lucy's going to inevitably complain, why didn't you feel that? That's right. Well, as is the case with most players today, Frank was a monster who could crush the ball. He could also swing and miss a lot. He was really good at that. In his first three years as a regular in the bigs, he struck out 266 times. Well, some people today blame things like launch angle and exit velo for the high number of three true outcome players. Frank actually had a good reason why he struck out so much earlier. He had 20-40 vision in his right eye and 20-60 in his left eye. So, wow. It's not good. Uh, Hondo strapped on some of those science teacher glasses, though. Bam. Immediately knocked three home runs in his next four games. And he would continue <laughs> to wear them for the rest of his career. So science teacher glasses for the win. 1963, Frank helped the Dodgers win the World Series against the Yankees. In the Bronx, facing Whitey Ford, he crushed a fastball 460 feet to left center for a double. So at this point, this was dubbed the longest double in the then 41-year history of Yankee Stadium. It ended up rattling around those monuments in center field where not many people could even reach it at all. But uh, he put one there, so obviously those monuments were in play. What would have been a home run anywhere else ended up being a double. The Dodgers decided that they wanted to make a change, though, after the series. They wanted to focus their team on speed and defense in their pitcher-friendly Dodger stadium. Two things that Frank distinctly lacked. Frank used to have a good throwing arm. At least he, he did before he shoved himself into a locker in a fit of rage. Don't know if he gave himself a swirly and a wedgie after that, because... Frank is so big that the only person that could really bully Frank Howard was Frank Howard. So he shoved yeah. himself into a locker, I guess. Interesting. So the Dodgers made a trade. They sent Howard to the Washington Senators. The, the Sens were not good, but he was welcome and he was excited to be there. He was told he was there to hit the ball. That's all he needs to focus on. And he did just that. He played more consistently as well as uh, putting up consistent numbers season after season he still struck out a lot but with the way he was pounding the ball the senators were fine with that fans love to watch frank hit the ball out of rfk stadium which is where the senators played at that point in fact several seats at the stadium were painted white to denote where some of his mammoth home runs landed some of these were even in the upper bowl which were just huge pokes just exactly how hard did Hondo hit the ball? Well, this is teammate Fred Valentin recalls this story about Howard. Quote, 
Tommy John threw him something and he hit a line drive back at him. John fell off the mound trying to get out of the way of the ball. Center fielder Tommy Agee actually started in like he was going to catch a line drive. It was like a two iron and it ended up in the upper deck in center field. They painted another seat, end quote. Now, I'm not sure that physics can actually confirm the flight of the uh, path is actually possible as described, but it's a great story. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, The standing joke about those painted seats, by the way. So they would paint the ones white where he would hit these home runs. All the other seats in the stadium were painted yellow. So the joke was that uh, obviously the white ones are for his home runs. The yellow ones are for each time he struck out. Ouch. As a senator, Frank was a four-time All-Star, and in 1968, which was, as we have spoken at length about, the famous year of the pitcher, where Bob Gibson basically broke baseball, Yes, Howard hit 274. He led the league with 44 home runs. He knocked in 106 and led the league with a 552 slugging percentage. So in the year of the pitcher, from May 12th through the 18th, Frank smacked 10 home runs in a span of 20 plate appearances, which is still the major league record for most homers in a week. He collected 17 of his 106 RBI over that stretch. That's amazing. That's half of the time he went to the plate in that span. He hit a home run. That's completely ridiculous. Yeah. So in 1969, Ted Williams took over as manager of the Senators, he asked Frank to have a little patience at the plate. He wanted him to take a strike every at-bat. This was hard for a big guy who didn't want to miss a fastball, but, you know, if Ted Williams tells you to do something at the plate, I think you should probably do it. It's Ted Williams. So, following the Splendid Splinter's advice, Howard increased his walk total from 54 to 102. While Jeez. his strikeouts fell from 141 to 96. So that is impressive. Again, I listened to Ted Williams if he uh, told you something. <laughs> no doubt. He must have been uh, writing the early copies of The Science of Hitting. Yeah, exactly. So he took advantage of more hitters' counts and ended up hitting 296 with 48 home runs and 111 RBIs, leading the league with 330 total bases and finishing with a 402 on base and a 574 slugging, which, despite having gone to Washington State, I could tell you that equals a 976 OPS, which is uh, pretty darn good. The next season, Frank ended up leading the league in walks as well with 132. So Ted Williams just absolutely turned him around. Maybe not even turned him around, but just made him that much better. Yeah. Now, not all of these walks were the, you know, working the count, waiting for the umpire to tell you to take your base. Frank led the league two years in a row in intentional walks. And who can blame pitchers and managers for not wanting to face this giant at the plate? Sam McDowell clearly had nightmares about Howard. In his career, Frank hit 368 with five home runs and 68 ABs against the sudden one. It could have been worse, though, because McDowell walked Howard 25 times, including intentionally nine times. And in 1970, in two separate games, while Sam McDowell was pitching, against Washington, McDowell was taken off the mound, stuck in the outfield when Howard came to the plate, and then went back to the mound after Howard's (laughs) (laughs) at-bats. Yeah, that's uh, that's dominance. 
Overall, Frank played for 16 seasons in the big leagues, hitting 382 home runs. He drove in 1,119 RBI. He hit for 273 as an average, struck out 1,460 times, and accumulated a war of 37.6. Frank did sign with the Teo Lions in the NPB for the 1974 season, but he hurt his back in his very first at-bat of the year and he finished the game but then that was it he retired after that game didn't play again frank eventually went on to coach and even manage he was named manager of the mets in 1983 where ron darling had some incredible stories about him from his book 108 stitches first everybody was scared to death of him because he was so big but he was he was always described as a very nice man but uh, he was a very big and intimidating man as well and he didn't speak much so basically whatever he did nobody was gonna question him about it uh, because nobody (laughs) really wanted to make him mad so they had to keep their opinions to themselves when Frank would lift weights in only his jock strap in the team sauna <laughs> as a manager still like and, and Darling said, wow. you know, he was still in really good shape. Six, seven, 250 pound man in this jock strap in the sauna lifting weights. Now, in uh, in the movie Major League, isn't there a scene where Serrano's just in his jock? I think he's just in the in the in the locker room, but he's just in his jock and he's lifting weights and he's smoking yes. a cigar. That's right. So I'm wondering if that was kind of inspired from this story. Of, Definitely a possibility. Yeah, they they kind of look. Well, I mean, they don't look the same. The same. There's one stark difference between Frank Howard and Pedro Serrano, but you know. <laughs> They're big dudes, is what you're saying. (laughs) Yeah, they're big dudes. Uh, He also apparently, he only had two outfits during baseball season. His civvies, which I'll talk about here in a minute, and his uniform. He would often get to the ballpark, put on his full game uniform, and then go run errands around the city in uniform. (laughs) Uh, He needed a haircut, maybe drop a letter off at the post office. He'd do it in full uniform. One story had Frank going to the hospital to visit some sick kids. So this is a good story, right? Well, he did it in full uniform, and on his way there, he's driving himself. He gets stuck on the bridge at the toll booth. Again, in full uniform, he's trying to stuff dollar bills in the toll basket. You know, the <laughs> basket where you toss the you toss your change in to pay for the right. toll. Well, he's trying to stuff dollar bills in on I don't know why he thought this was a good idea, but I can just see a line of New Yorkers at this toll booth just laying on their horns because they're getting held up. And then somebody in a full Mets uniform that's the size of the Empire State Building gets out of the car and looks at them like and I'm also just assuming it's like a mini like it's a clown car and he's this big guy getting out of it because that makes it funnier to me. (laughs) Uh, If he wasn't in uniform, though, Frank seemingly only had one other pair of clothes that he wore everywhere else. They'd be going on a road trip, and Frank would show up with only his bowling ball bag. You know, not a suitcase, (laughs) but you know that little bag that you you would carry, like from the 70s, that you would carry your bowling ball around with. In it was uh, a pair of white patent leather shoes, blue Sansevelt pants that he pulled up literally as high as he could. You know, the classic old man, like, Maybe all the way up to his nipples if he could. Right. And a white golf shirt with a very stiff 
big collar. And he always would tuck that into those high-waisted pants. That was it. He would get to the ballpark each day on the road or at home, get into uniform, hand his civvies to the clubbies. They'd go wash them, and then he'd go run errands if he had to in his uniform. Oh, my gosh. What do you do, make fun of that guy? Yeah, well, he saved. think of all the money he saved on laundry. Well, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, In 2008, the Nationals, when they uh, opened their so originally named Nationals Park, which, okay, I'm going to say is better. It's a better name than the Ring Central Coliseum. Uh, The the next year after they opened, they unveiled three statues in their center field plaza. One was Walter Johnson, who pitched for the uh, very, very early version of the Washington Senators. Uh, Second, Josh Gibson, who in the Negro Leagues played for the Homestead Grays, who played in Griffith Stadium there in D.C., and Frank Howard who was representing the expansion senators. Now, I remember seeing Frank coach at first base when I first got into baseball and just remember just how huge he was. He was still big in the 80s. He was still that big compared to all the other players. Uh, there's a famous picture, at least it's it's famous to me because I tweeted out a lot, of Frank playing first base and holding on the Royals' Freddie Potek, who nicknamed the Flea who Patek was 5'5", 150 pounds. Wow. It's kind of similar to that picture of Aaron Judge standing on second next to Jose Altuve from a couple of years ago. Just two very different sized human beings. But uh, that's it. That's Frank Howard. He's still kicking around, fortunately, hopefully for quite a while longer. But uh, Frank Howard. Pretty impressive career. uh, Long career. Good, uh, let's see, won, won a World Series, Rookie of the Year, All-Star a couple of times. Very nice. Let's uh, let's see, that's going to wrap up this segment of the show, Mark. That's going to send us into the final segment. It is the part of the show that uh, we're going to continue to call because we've got theme music that uh, calls it this. It's time for Wax Packs Heroes. Wax Pack Heroes! All right, Mark, uh, we are ready. I've got a couple of packs of baseball cards in my hand. Today, it is 1990 Donruss, so actual wax packs here that we will be opening. Uh, If you are new here, we've got some rules as to how we play this game. First of all, if I look on the scoreboard, Mark, you have jumped ahead of me. You've got six wins to my five so far this season. What we're going to do is we're going to open up these wax packs, and we are going to take the player on the card. We're going to add up their baseball reference war of the year of the card, so in this case, 1990. As we do that, we've got a couple of things that can add or subtract to that total. If there's anything on the player's face, that means glasses, sunglasses, mustache, uh, anything like that, eye black, all extra tenth of a point of war. Uh, If they have got a really good mustache, though, we might we might award an extra point, like a Wade Boggs, Tom Selleck-esque mustache. If they're wearing real stirrups, where we can see actual sanitary socks, that's an extra tenth of a point. But if they're wearing the two-in-ones, that's lazy. That's a minus a tenth of a point. 
Any awards the player won that year, Rookie of the Year, Cy Young, MVP, if they were an all-star, or worn a gold glove, that's a half a point each. If there is a Hall of Famer on the card, whether it is the focus or not, that's a whole extra point of war. If Ricky Henderson or Nolan Ryan show up on any of these cards, I'm going to get five for Ricky. You're going to get five for Nolan, Mark, uh, regardless of who pulls them. And uh, let's see, we've got a couple of new rules this year. If the player showed up on the Mitchell Report or was suspended for PEDs during their career, that's a minus a half a point. If they uh, were on any pop culture reference, if they have any pop culture references or were on TV shows, we're going to give them a half a point for that, unless they were on either Seinfeld, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, or The Simpsons. Then you get a whole point, because those uh, those are just great baseball episodes. Uh, Mark, we're also going to pick a team, and uh, if I pull them or you pull your team, you get a half a point. Uh, if uh, my team shows up, I get a half a point. What team are you going to go with this week? I'm going to go with the Texas Rangers. All right, you can go with Texas. Uh, since I talked about Frank Howard, uh, I'm, I'm going to guess he's probably best known as a senator. So I'm going to go, well, I guess I can't pick the Nationals. I guess I'll have to pick the Expos. I guess so. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, well, yeah, kind of, because the, the senators that Frank Howard was on became the Rangers, and you picked them. That's right. I was ahead of the game. Yeah, that was totally on purpose, too, I can tell. Uh, all right. Oh, yeah. So, so you got the Rangers. I got the Expos. Mark. I got a pack in my left hand, pack in my right hand. Which one do you want? Going left hand. Left hand. All right. That's the key to the whole game right there is figuring this part out. All right, Mark, your first card. Oh, one of our two favorite players to uh, hail from uh, Kingston, Jamaica. And it's not Devon White. It's Chili Davis. Chili. Chill Dog. Isn't that his other uh, nickname we found out? Yeah, Chill Dog. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Chile, 19 years in the big leagues. Wow, we've, we've pulled him quite a bit. Uh, in 1990, he was still playing for the California Angels. He spent most of his career there, seven years there. Appeared in 113 games, hit 265, uh, 357 on base, 12 home runs, 58 RBI. And that is good for a war of 0.3. Chile does have a mustache here, so you will get a 0.4 out of that, but nothing else. Chile with exactly 350 career home runs. Very nice. Yeah, let's see. We've talked about how he got the Chile moniker with that bad bowl cut in his youth, but uh, no, nothing else is going to help you out there. All right. Your next card is a Mariner. So uh, can't wait to hear about Jerry Reed. Wow, Jerry Reed. I played for a little bit. Let's see. Jerry Reed played for nine years, five with the Mariners, three with Cleveland, and then Philadelphia and Boston. Uh, let's see, in 1990, it was his final year in the league. He split time between the Mariners and the Red Sox. Overall, he went 2-2, two and two, 4.82 ERA, 52 innings pitch, 19 strikeouts, a 85 ERA plus, and that is good for a war of exactly zero. He had a minus .1 for Seattle and a positive .1. Oh, no, no, let, I'm sorry, I am incorrect there. They are both minus point ones. So that is actually a minus point two. Uh, now, looking at the card, he does have a mustache, but he also has two and one uh, stirrups on. So <sighs> it is going to be a minus point two for you, unless he has some pop culture reference that we have uh, yet to uncover. I, I truly doubt it. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't see anything there. Looks like he played in the uh, senior league, though, for the uh, St. Nice. Petersburg Pelicans. All right. Uh, next card. Oh, well, you've got another guy that at least played for the Mariners at one point. Here he is with the A's. Uh, he went on to be a pitching coach for the A's for a very long time. It's Kurt Young. 
Oh, yeah. Let's see. Kurt Young as a player played for 11 years, 10 of which were with the A's. And then uh, let's see. He split 92 with the Royals and the Yankees before coming back to Oakland for his final year in 1990. Uh, let's see. He went nine and six with a 4.85 ERA, 124 innings pitch, 56 Ks, 76 ERA plus, And that will equal a war of minus 0.9. Oh, thanks, Kurt. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of weird. Uh, he does have the two and ones on as well as pretty much everyone on the A's did that year. So that's going <laughs> to yes. be a minus one for you. Real nice. I like that. He's getting even from the time I picked him up at the airport and got lost. <laughs> I think you've told that story before. I right? have. Yes. <laughs> this was long before GPS. Did he ever? Did he ever say, "Hey, do you know where you're going"? He said, you know, Mark, I think you're lost. <laughs> I said, no. I know exactly I, where we are. <laughs> I figured it out. Uh, let's see. Of course, went on to be a pitching coach of very highly thought of pitching coach, mainly in Oakland, also in Boston, a couple of other teams as well. Uh, none, uh, no uh, pop culture references for you, though. So uh, you're at minus point eight now. I like it. That's solid. All right, let's see. Ah, oh, you've got a pitcher here. We kind of talked about him last week. It's Wild Thing here with the Cubs, Mitch Williams. Number 99. Yeah, no, but he started out being number 28. Yes, he did. Which is not as intimidating as 99. And then when he went to the Royals his final year, he had to wear number 49. Which, does that mean that somebody else on the Royals was wearing 99 in 1997? It's possible. Or maybe they just ran out of nines. The clubhouse guy is like, I've got one six and that's it. (laughs) I've got got a nine or a six. You can make it what you want. Undoubtedly what happened. Uh, Let's see. In 1990 with the Cubs, he went one and eight as a reliever. That's not good. That (laughs) tells me you probably blew some saves. Uh, 3.93 ERA, only 16 saves, 66 innings pitch, 55 strikeouts, a 105 ERA plus. And that is good for a war of 0.0. I actually will take it. Yeah, but I hate to uh, hate to look down at a stirrup and see those two and one. Uh, you are at minus 0.9, which is exciting for me. You know, Williams the next year was 12 and five with 30 saves. <laughs> That's too bad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, we've talked about Mitch Williams. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, you know, obviously Mitch Williams gave up one of the biggest home runs in World Series history. We've talked about this all about 78 times. So that is why we are not going to go into depth on Mitch Williams uh, and his, uh, you know, kind of his uh, playing career so much, nor the uh, the lawsuit against the uh, film Major League for what he thought was stealing his gig when I think he actually stole, <laughs> stole yes. it from the movie. Well, now, he was on an episode of a show on the DIY network called House Crashers, where a local Phillies fan won a makeover of his home sports den. Uh, I'm not sure that I can really count that as uh, too much of a, of a nah, pop culture I'm with reference. you on that one. I don't think so. Yeah. Sorry, Mitch. All right. Next. Oh, you got a Hall of Famer. Oh, this is Yay. a good one. This is a good one who was just recently on uh, the Pop Fly Art. Uh, baseball drop of the week, which I picked up with an autograph. Nice. It is Tim Raines here with the Expos, which is my team. So I'm going to go ahead and throw that half a point minus on you right now. All right. So uh, Rock, of course, a Hall of Famer, 23-year play. You know, he played just about as long as Ricky. Yeah. 
<laughs> so he just, yeah, he, he got into the big leagues a little bit earlier. Uh, let's see, uh, 23 years in the big leagues, 13 with Montreal, five with the White Sox, three with the Yankees, one apiece for Florida, Baltimore, and my Oakland Athletics. In 1990, it was his final year with Montreal. Uh, let's see, he came up, obviously, with Montreal. 130 games, he hit 287, 379 on base, 9 home runs, 62 RBI, 49 stolen bases, a 117 OPS+. And all of that together is going to equal a 2.9 war. He is a Hall of Famer, so that'll be a 3.9. He's got a mustache and eye black on here, so that will be a 4.1. There you go, Rock. Let's see, seven-time All-Star, won two World Series titles, uh, let's see, that was coming with the Yankees in both of them in 96 and 98. Also won a batting title, which is something I don't often think of, in 1986, and uh, was an all-star MVP as well. I don't see anything Ooh. here that's going to help you uh, pop culture-wise, but uh, just reading reading through this, I mean, his story seems so familiar to Ricky Henderson's uh, in terms of the football and the length of the career and what he did on the field. This I'm a big rock fan. Yeah, he was. Uh, he didn't get nearly as, as as much attention as he would have gotten had he played somewhere other than Montreal. Yeah, total all around superstar. Yeah, uh, really was. I I was reading a, a history on the baseball bunch, getting ready to for a future show show on the baseball bunch, and uh, Andre Dawson was on the baseball bunch, and he was so excited to be there. Uh, according to Johnny Bench, he is the only player that learned and remembered all of his lines because he was so excited to get exposure in the U.S. since he yes. was playing in Montreal. Totally makes sense. Yeah. Oh, well, speaking of Montreal, back-to-back expos. So that's going to be oh. another minus half a point for you right there. I like it. Uh, oh. It is Jeff Hewson. I think of Jeff Hewson as a ranger, mainly. I agree. Yeah, me too. Now, I grew up on Hewson Street, which is so weird. I think it was named after Jeff Hewson. I think it was. (laughs) Who (laughs) debuted in 1988. So I'm sure they did name it after after that. But let's see. Jeff Hewson, 12 years in the big leagues, four in Texas, two with Montreal, and then a bunch of other teams. In 1990, it was his first year with the Rangers. 145 games, hit 240, 320 on base. No home runs, 28 RBI, 12 steals, 70 OPS plus. And that is good for a 1.8 war. Very nice. Scrappy guy. Yeah. Generally a shortstop, but he also, I mean, basically you'd stick him anywhere. He's an athlete for sure. Played some, played all around the infield, played some outfield as well as needed. Probably would have pitched if he played, you know, in this era. Right. Does some uh, color commentary for the Rockies. Next, we have got a cub. It is none other than Mr. Schwan Dunstan. Schwan. Well, you know you're going to get stirrup money and you're going to get mustache money because that's, he's always got those two things going. Definitely. Let's see. Another one of those guys that we've pulled quite a bit. 18 years in the big leagues, 12 with the Cubs, 4 with the Giants, and then a bunch of other people. 12 home runs, 43 RBI, uh, only three stolen bases. This is at age 37. Uh, let's see. Good news for you. In 1990, he was an all-star. One of two times in his career for the Cubs, 146 games, hit 262, 283 on base. Did not walk a lot. No, uh, he did not. 17 home runs, 66 RBI, 25 stolen bases, and 87 OPS plus. And that is good for a 1.5. Plus, he was an all star, so that will be a 2.0, plus the mustache and the stirrup. So that will be a 2.2. 2. 
Now, I think I'm going to give you a half a point for pop culture reference just for the Schwanometer. The <laughs> Schwanometer. Yeah. Yes, that, that was a big deal. Yeah. I love the Schwanometer. Yeah, I'm going to give I'm going to give you half point for that. Uh, Schwan was the first overall draft pick in the 1982 uh, draft. Oh, wow. All right. You've got two cards left. You're at 6.7. Next, you got pitcher for the Bucks, Rick Reed. Rick Reed played 15 years in the big leagues. Uh, let's see, five with the Mets, four with the Bucks, three with the Twins, and some other guys. In 1990 for Pittsburgh, he went two and three in 13 games with a 4.36 ERA, 27 strikeouts in 53 innings, an 83 ERA plus, and a war of minus 0.4. All right. I kind of saw that one coming. Yeah. Oh, I we talked about Rick Reed. Uh, he crossed the picket line in 95. Because his mother was yeah, very sick, like, and uh, yes. without health insurance, he couldn't pay couldn't pay her bills. So yes, uh, yeah. So there's there's an actual good reason to to cross that line. All right. So you're at six point three. Your final card. I know what you're going to say as soon as I say his name. It's Kevin Ritz. <laughs> I have no idea. Well, are you going to say Kevin Ritz Cracker or Kevin Putting on the Ritz? Um, I was leaning I'll towards s- Putting on the Ritz, right. but I'll say the other one. So just okay. so we got our bases covered. Uh, Kevin Ritz, nine years in the big leagues, five with Colorado, four with the Tigers. In 1990 with Detroit, 0-4 record, 11.05 ERA in four games. Four four games, he started all four of them and only pitched seven and a third in. <laughs> this is a good sign. Yeah, he gave up 14 hits, 12 runs, nine of which were earned, struck out three, walked 14 in seven innings. Where you get those three Ks, man? 38 ERA plus and a war of only minus 0.6. Nothing on this card is going to help you out. I highly doubt that Kevin Ritz is uh, in any kind of social uh, pop culture reference. Well, I will tell you this. He was one heck of a defensive pitcher. In 151 games in his career, he committed only two errors. How does someone like Kevin Ritz have a saber bio that is this long when I'll pick somebody to do a story on that everyone's heard of and uh, no saber bio? All right. Well, that's a 5.7 for you, Mark. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to need some help. Yeah, that was uh, that was not great. I'm not going to lie. All right. Let's uh, go ahead and open my pack here. All right. So I get to beat 5.7. My first card. Ooh, rated rookie. Uh, I'm, you know, it's a, if this truly is his rookie year, I might not get a whole lot, but it's Juan gone, Juan Gonzalez. Hey, that's one of the more. Now, here, here's an interesting thing to look at is uh, if you look at the card, does he look like he's hitting right or left? Right. Because there's a reverse negative. Yeah, this one is definitely right. Okay, the reverse negative is pretty valuable on that one. How great would that have been? <laughs> <laughs> then I would want to use the Beckett value. <laughs> if you were to get that card graded and it came back PSA 10, it would be worth 50 bucks. Well, as it is, this one's probably worth about five cents. Uh, let's see, Juan gone 17 year. Oh, plus, you know what? I'm going to get a minus because of the Elta steroid issue. <laughs> 17 years in the big leagues for Juan, 13 in Texas, two in Cleveland, one in Kansas City and Detroit. In 1990, yeah, let's see, he had appeared in 24 games in 89, 25 in 1990, so not a whole lot. He hit 289, 316 on base, four home runs, 12 RBI, a 131 OPS plus, and that is a war of 0.8. Now, he is on the Rangers too, so that's your team. Yes. So that'll only be a point three. 
he does have mustache, eye black, and real stirrups on here, so that'll be a positive point three. A two-time most valuable player. Well, I remember when it was he and Paul Marrow and uh, Pudge Rodriguez on the Rangers. They were a real scary offensive mm-hmm. team. Just for sure, zero pitching. <laughs> yes. Well, Gonzalez has consistently stated over the years that he has never taken steroids and is, in fact, a vegetarian. So, I mean, I guess case closed. Yeah, you can't have steroids and be a vegetarian, right? (laughs) So, (laughs) I'm going to have to go ahead and nick myself with the old uh, steroid allegation there. And that will give me uh, only a point one off of one. All right. Oh, God. Next, I've got another ranger. Oh, nice. So that's another minus 0.5 for me. Here, uh, reliever Jeff Russell. I remember Jeff Russell, sure. I do too, isn't it? Hey, I remember Jeff Russell. Right. Let's see. Two-time All-Star. Also was a Rolaids Relief Man of the Year winner in 1989. But unfortunately, we're looking at 1990, where he went 1-5 with a 4.26 ERA, 10 saves. Looks like he was injured this year. 25 innings, 16 strikeouts, a 93 ERA plus, and a war of minus 0.4. He's got a mustache and he's got stirrups, though. So it'll only be a minus 0.2. But he's on the Rangers, so it'll actually be a minus 0.7. These are some great cards. I tell you what, we are hitting, we are hitting our stride as far as great players. I'm yeah, telling you. really, really good. Of course, traded to the Rangers, uh, traded by the Rangers with Ruben Sierra and Bobby Witt to the A's for Jose Canseco. So I would say the A has probably got the better end of that deal. But don't you don't you get minus Roy's points by association? <laughs> I think if you if you pull up Jose Canseco or McGuire, it's an automatic minus ten. Unless it's me. <laughs> oh well let's see. He was inducted into the uh, Rangers Hall of Fame in twenty seventeen along with Juan Gonzalez. Ah. Little uh, chemistry there. Uh, okay, next I've got a new member of the New York. Oh, chemistry, get it? Uh, That's good, man. I thought you that, did it on that podcasting class. It's just like I say these Ooh. things and don't even recognize it anymore. The brilliance. It's all about the chemicals. <laughs> Here he is. Oh, he's wearing a Mims band, but we're not doing that anymore. Here with the Mets, it's Juan Samuel. Juan Samuel, second baseman, correct? Yeah, Sammy, second baseman. Uh, Played uh, some outfield at the end of his career, but yeah, you're right. And let's see, 16 years in the big league, seven in Philly, three with the Dodgers, three with the Blue Jays, uh, three-time All-Star in uh, 1990. He was with the Dodgers, 143 games, hit 242, 316 on base, 13 home runs, 52 RBI, 38 stolen bases. I like it. Uh, 20 yeah. caught stealing. I do not like that. A 94 OPS plus, and that's good for a .5 war. Uh, he's got a mustache on, and he has got, uh, no, I think those are fake stirrups. So that'll only be a, let's see, a .5. Rookie season, 19 triples and 72 stolen bases. Not a bad start. Yeah, not uh, not bad at all. That broke the MLB rookie single season record for steals previously held by Tim Raines, another wow. person we've already pulled today. All right, so I'm at minus 0.1 thus far. Uh, next, I remember this guy from the rotation with the Giants, Atley Hammaker. Atley, if I had a Hammaker. That is a good one, and I do not remember that one. <laughs> Atley, if I had a Hammaker, that is good. I'm not sure. I mean, I, how, I think most of our listeners will get that reference, but I don't know. Uh, let's see, 12 years in the big leagues for Atley. 
eight with the Giants, two with the Padres, two with the White Sox, one with the Royals. Uh, in 1990, let's see, he split time with the Giants and the Padres. He went 4-9 with a 4.36 ERA, 44 Ks in 86 innings, 85 ERA plus, And that is going to equal a war of a positive .1. And that's going to be it, which will <laughs> put me right at zero with uh, <laughs> five cards left. Oh, well, you got five. That's plenty to catch up to me. Jeez. It's not like I scored. Let's see. Allie was a first round draft pick in the 1979 draft by the Royals. You don't see uh, enough uh, ball players named Atley anymore. I mean, there's maybe six, seven dozen. That's it. <laughs> Let's see. His uh, his he's half German and half Japanese. Very close to the uh, Lars Newtbar. Yeah, uh, Dutch and Japanese, but uh, nothing there. He was part of the God Squad. We've talked about that with Scott Geraltz, Jeff Brantley, and former guest Dave Jervecki. Dave was a great interview. Yeah, he certainly was, yeah. But uh, nothing here is going to help me out pop culture-wise, so we will move on to, oh, we've got science teacher glasses in Uh-oh. full effect here for shortstop for the Red Sox, Luis Rivera played for 11 years five with boston three with montreal and then one for the royals mets and astros in 1990 with boston 118 games 225 average 279 on base seven home runs 45 rbi four stolen bases and a 71 ops plus and that's good for a minus 0.7 war nice that is Jeff, you're on a roll yeah that's not good uh he's got a mustache and he's got those glasses so that will be a minus 0.5 so i'm again back into the negative i didn't want to stay in the positive for too long. No, no. Oh, well, he was once traded for uh, former and only Mariners uh, team captain, Spike Owen. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, nothing going to help me out here pop culture wise from uh, Luis Rivera, shockingly enough. Uh, next, we've got, well, I see stir, or I see uh, mustache and eye black, so I like that. Here with Cleveland shortstop Felix Fermin. Ten years in the big leagues, five with Cleveland, two with Pittsburgh, two with the Mariners, and then uh, one final season with the Cubs. In 1990 with Cleveland, 148 games, 256 average, 297 on base, one home run, 40 RBIs, three stolen bases, a 70 OPS plus, and a war of positive .9. So that's the other way. Plus he's got the mustache and he's got the eye black, so that'll be a 1.1 for me. Very nice, El Gato. Interesting. It doesn't go into a little, any detail here, but it says in 1996, Fermin was very nearly traded to the Yankees for Mariano Rivera. <laughs> yeah, well, come talked, on. We've talked about that before. Boy, that would have changed things. Yeah, that would have changed the trajectory of two franchises. That's right. Wow. <laughs> At 93, though, he was traded by Cleveland with Reggie Jefferson to the Mariners for Omar Vizquel. One of your happier days, I assume. Yeah, that's for sure. Had four sacrifice hits in one game against the Mariners. Wow. Which is a tied a record, an 87-year-old record. That was an 89. So, nice. Saw a record, knew he could get it, went for it. Wait, so he just sacrificed whether he was told to or not? <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't go into any detail, but I would have. There's a guy on second in the ninth inning. They're up by 16 runs, and he sacrifices him over to third. That's right. He's like, there's the record, baby. Put it in the books. All right. So uh, I'm at positive 0.6. I've only got three cards left here. I've got an all-star card, though. This is good. Uh, he's got two and ones, but he's got a mustache and eye black. And he's wearing Mims bands. But again, no bonus there. Uh, it's catcher for the dads. It's Benito Santiago. 
Was he wearing 09 or 9 in this uh, one? I can't tell because uh, we're looking at him face on at the plate. But yeah, he wore that 09 <laughs> with the Padres and the Marlins. Yes. Uh, then he went back when he was with the Cubs and just wore 9. So I don't know. Maybe the Cubs put an end to his tomfoolery. I don't know. <laughs> Very strange. <laughs> 20 years in the big leagues for Benny, seven with the Padres, three with the Giants, two with the Reds, two with them fish, two with the Blue Jays, and then a bunch of other teams for one. In 1990, well, I like it, all-star with the Padres, 100 games, oh. hit 270, 323 on base, 11 home runs, 53 RBI, five stolen bases, a 102 OPS plus. And remember, um, uh, well, he was a gold glove that year, too. Uh, remember, War does take into account defense, and he was one of the great defensive catchers of his day. But that'll only get me a 2.1. <laughs> uh, I do get the All-Star, and then uh, the Stirrups, White Boy won, and then I've got the Mustache and the Eye Black. Uh, oh, wait, he won the gold glove that year, too. So that'll be a 3.1 and a 3.2. I'm about halfway to you with two cards left. Something interesting. He became the first player to hit a grand slam off of Greg Maddox in the regular season. And that's after Maddox had been pitching for 10 years. Wow. That's amazing. Very similar to, I mean, Jim Palmer never gave up a grand slam. That's right. Steroid allegations was named by FBI investigators as one of the athletes involved linked to performance in the book Game of Shadows and was named in the Mitchell Report. Uh, so that sends me back down to 3.3. Uh, all right, let's see. Uh, next, we've got pitcher for the Orioles. It is Greg Olson. Not the catcher, the pitcher. No, no two different Greg Olsons in the same era. And not the uh, tight end for the Carolina Panthers. Right. Forgot about that guy. I see, I see this Greg Olson on Twitter all the time. Uh, he loves to show when he gets uh, autograph requests in the mail for the football player. <laughs> so uh good news for me 1990 was an all-star year his only all-star year he ended up playing 14 years in the big league six with baltimore and then just one or two with a bunch of other teams in 1990 with baltimore he went six and five 2.42 era 37 saves, 74 innings pitched 74 strikeouts a 158 era plus and that is going to equal a war of 2.4 he is an all-star, so that'll be 2.9, and uh, that's all I'm going to get out of him. But that 2.9 takes me up to 6.2 and puts me in the lead with one card left. Oh, oh no. Uh, let's see. Greg was a first-round draft pick, fourth overall pick of the Orioles in 1988. Uh, I think we've mentioned that he does uh, he does TV for the SEC Network, I believe. Uh, used to do some for the Orioles on Masson. Oh, wow. In uh, 21, was diagnosed with prostate cancer. Ouch. I think he's doing okay, though, because I'm pretty sure that he um, uh, that he's working on uh, on SEC broadcasts for baseball. Um, good. Now, he did serve as the pitching coach in the Fox TV series Pitch. Well, let's see. Let's see if he if he ever appeared in it. Or if oh, that's he, true. He that's going to make a difference. Yeah. If he was just the, the pitching coach, I'm going to say no. But if he, it says actor here, one episode pitch. Oh, uh, I think, I think you got to get the yeah, points for that. I, I think so too. That's, I'm going to give myself half a point there. All right. So my final card is, oh, well, first of all, you know that he's going to have the uh, science teacher glasses because it's none other than 
Ma and Pa, Ron Kittle. Ron Kittle. Now, do I get extra points for uh, if they are able to fashion furniture out of baseball bats? Um, let me look in the rules here. Uh, no. You might need an updated rule book because the answer is definitely yes. Uh, In this case, Ron played for 10 years in the big leagues, eight with the White Sox, two with the Yankees in the split time in Cleveland and Baltimore. In 1990, uh, let's see, half of it with the White Sox, half with the Orioles. In 105 games, he hit 231, 293 on base, 18 home runs, 46 RBI, and a 104 OPS plus. And that is good. Wow. With Chicago, he had a .7 war. And then with Baltimore, a minus 0.6. So that'll be a positive 0.1 plus the glasses. So that'll be a positive 0.2. And as long as he can stay out of the uh, steroid report, which I feel pretty confident that he will have. Yeah, I think you're okay. I feel like I might have come away with a win. Yeah, let's see. Uh, He's published a couple of books and builds, as uh, I mentioned, custom collectible benches out of baseballs, bats, and bases. So with that, that'll give me a 6.9, which uh, is higher. We crunched the numbers than 5.7. Hold on. Let me. (laughs) Don't do any of your new math. Yeah, yeah. you're right. It is higher. So that'll tie us up. We are at uh, six apiece, which uh, this was an exciting uh, match. I guess. Uh, But uh, there we go. That's going to wrap up this uh, edition of Wax Packs Heroes. Also going to start to wrap up the show. Thank you once again, everybody, for tuning in. We appreciate you listening to us. If you want to rate and review us, that's great. If you want to force our podcast on other uh, friends or enemies, we're not going to, uh, we're not going to complain about that, though they might. But uh, if you want more of us, you can find us on all the socials. We're at Two Strike Noise. That is at TWO Strike Noise. All the links are also in the show notes as well as an email address mark sure to strike noise two strike noise at gmail.com give us a send us a message let us know what's going on what you like about the show don't let us know what you don't like about the show because you know i have feelings and we're not going to change we're setting right. our ways yes. that's right <laughs> all right well uh, thank you everybody once again i think we're going to have an episode next week i'm getting ready to uh not be around for a little bit so uh one of the next two weeks will be off but i think we're going to try to throw together a uh tales from the dugout and see if i can get that edited before i am not available so uh just be aware i know put that on your calendar that one of the next two weeks you might fall into a depression but uh don't worry we got a bunch of episodes backlogged if you want to go back and revisit them or listen to them for the first time i don't know you do you i mean yeah (laughs) <laughs> We've been doing this, what is this, this show, 216. So uh, even if you've listened to everyone before, just go pick a random episode and uh, listen to another one. But uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Mark, this was fun. Let's do it again. We'll see you all on the next episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. Have a great day.